Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have another really special guest and friend. He has recently served as the Vice President of Programming and Development at NBC Universal. He's also served as the Vice President of Production at Telemundo, also has served as Supervising Producer of The Balancing Act on Lifetime and freelance producer on Good Morning America, and currently is a consultant and television executive and content creator, Richard Borjas. How are you doing today, Richard? Wow, thank you for that introduction. I have to pay you later because that's a long <laughs> intro, my friend. I'm doing you quite get, well. You get used thank to doing it. I got to make you look good, too, with those. I know, <laughs> I know. I guess it comes with the invitation, right? Got to keep yes, you around for those intros for future. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, <laughs> hey, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show today. I'm super excited to have you on and really excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. My pleasure, the same. And let, let's tell your listeners about the good fortune of how we were able to meet a couple of days ago. Should I, should I go first or you? You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I'm throwing you off script here. So, uh, yeah. We've been talking for about a year, looking to make this interview happen, and finally our schedules were able to align, and recently we were able to meet in person. We've been networking on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn, excuse me, and uh, via email and some conversations. I've met some folks from your team, and yeah. I was recently on a, on a two-week vacation doing a road trip, and you were nice enough to come down from Charlotte, drive a couple hours to meet me, which is awesome, and... I must say you're even more handsome in person than you are in pictures, Clifford. So kudos, <laughs> and it was awesome to meet you. Thank you. Am I Thank making you, you blush? It was, it was definitely a pleasure. Am I making you blush? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, you, thank go. you, thank you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And like I said, because of the conversation we had Sunday, I couldn't wait to uh, have the conversation that we're going to have today. So like I said, I'm the ecstatic same. and really Absolutely. excited to jump into it. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I like to do as I always do. I want to take and shout out all of our listeners and all of our fans in all 60 plus countries. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. Thank you for continuing to like, share, and subscribe and spread the word about The Sane Show. And guys, if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Sane underscore show. That's S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook at Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's Sane Show. And then be sure to follow us on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Again, you can find us under Sane Show. Be sure to check us out and continue to like, share, and subscribe. I just awesome. I just hit follow. And <laughs> I also you, want to add you, that you. I am super excited because this is my first podcast. I've done quite a few oh. interviews and print and, and other fashions, but uh, even TV, but never a podcast. So you are... Uh, you're, you're getting a first out of me here, uh, Cliff. <laughs> you just made you just made my day with that one. <laughs> I'm it's gonna true. Make sure this it's is true. the best one. <laughs> I hope so. Let's have at it. Yes. So today we're going to talk about syndicated television programs. Following that discussion, we're going to have a conversation about green lighting productions. And then following both of those topics, sure. we're going to have an interview with you, Richard, so that the listeners can learn more about you, the things that you do, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with our first topic, syndicated television programs. So 
having someone like yourself on the show is a first. I'm going to say that much as far as someone being an experienced uh, television executive. And, you know, I wanted to have this conversation with someone like yourself. And I couldn't wait to, come, you know, bring up these topics because we on the show have talked about streaming with music and with film. And we've talked to producers and directors, people all over, but never an executive. So really want to have this discussion with you as far as, you know, some of the things like how syndicated program has been affected by streaming and just how syndicated program is faring in this new age of, of media. So, you know, wanted to get your take again, having been on all the levels that you've been in television and most recently uh, an executive at NBC Universal, wanted to get your take on it as far as, you know, how syndicated programming is faring in this new environment when we with streaming and digital media. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So part of the reason I took that role is because it was a role that put me in what is, you know, syndication for television. And for those of you that don't know, syndication are shows like Kelly Clarkson, Access Hollywood, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, Kelly and Ryan, everything that is content that is created either by a studio like NBC Studios and distributed accordingly to various networks. So for the most part, whether it's ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, all those shows have their own programming and they have their own local news, right? And now obviously with COVID, there's even more of a demand and a desire and a need to have local news. So you have, you know, local news in the morning, you have it midday, you have it in the evening, but all those other pockets that don't have programming is where syndicated shows like the Kelly Clarkson show comes in and it's distributed and it's seen in most markets on different stations and at different times even. So that's really the syndicated format is working closely with your syndicated partners. So in my case for NBC, it was working closely with our uh, NBC counterparts. And then of course, everything else, you know, all the other networks that we distributed to. So it's really cool because you get to create content. And then once it's sold and greenlit and, and, and takes off, it can air anywhere. It's not just on one particular network. So that's kind of different than some of the past roles I've done and the shows I've worked on where it's just one network and it airs for the most part, at the same time, with the exception of time zone differences and like the central, you know, central Pacific time, uh, central time, excuse me, um, and stuff like that. But yeah, so syndication, your original question was how, how syndication was affecting, can you refresh my memory again? Our syndication and how it's been affected by this new environment of media with digital streaming now in the mix. It's been affected, but it's also been complemented because, I mean, the syndication viewer is a completely different viewer than the streaming viewer. They're consuming content differently. The folks that are tuning in to syndicated shows, for the most part, depending upon whether it's English language or Spanish language, and I've worked in both, for the most part, I would say they're 55 plus. We try to attract a younger demographic as well, 18 to 49, 25 to 45. That's usually the key demo. But those are the folks that are really tuning in for just broadcast television, right? And they're really accustomed to seeing their favorite shows uh, on television. They're loyal to that. They have that following and they have that time. Streamers are now coming about, obviously, and they've been in effect for a while, but also COVID also advanced and expedited the need and, and the desire for people to switch to, to streaming. And streamers are really catered more to 
oftentimes the millennials and oftentimes folks that are just not consuming content the same way that don't have the same time commitment. It's appointment television. They are able to binge watch series. Uh, they watch it at their own desire as, you know, as many episodes as they want. And of course that comes all with a premium and a subscription price, but it gives you the flexibility to kind of bounce around between Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or Apple plus, or of course, Peacock with uh, NBC, even though they're similar, they're different. The folks that are really traditional broadcast, it's hard to carry them over into the streaming world. So for example, in the role I had, we were very conscious of the different viewers from you know broadcast or linear as we call it to non-linear and digital and we had separate like strategies and campaigns for folks following the show along on social platforms like instagram and facebook hulu and um you know those are usually short form they're videos anywhere between two to four minutes and even though they're similar in style and tone to the show they're different because again you're consuming content differently even the way the videos are shot are different, different quality, different lighting than a traditional broadcast show. So I'd like to say that both worlds collided and they're complementing each other. They unite when necessary, but they stay apart when necessary as well. The, the advertising aspect of both is very similar, but I also think that there's enough content out there where both can coexist equally without really taking one away from the other. Does that make sense? No, that that makes a, that makes perfect sense. And you know, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about you know some of the productions that were traditionally syndicated and have been brought back. You know, shows yeah. like Friends. You know, a show like Seinfeld, right? And I just I, I find it very interesting. It's it's that's not going to be the same fate for every production. Absolutely. It's, and it's interesting ahead. that yeah, yeah. you have those shows. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's very interesting that you have those shows. And what I love about syndication is that when the show originally airs, there's a certain amount of shelf life it has, right? But then it comes back, like take Modern Family. Modern Family ended, but it's coming back in syndication. Take what was Will and Grace. Will and Grace went away. It was in syndication for years, which for me, there was no better therapy than going to bed at night with a smile on my face because that show was just pure laughter and entertainment. (laughs) I was lucky enough actually to... uh, to attend a taping when I was working for NBC out in Los Angeles, and it was just awesome. But that show, it had its syndication life, and it still does, but yet it came back, um, and it had a second run at NBC, right? So Mm -hmm. you have other shows like now Saved by the Bell. You know, Nostalgic is having a comeback. All shows with a nostalgic aspect, whether it's on television, broadcast, or streaming, it's, it's what people want to know. There's a, familiar, there's a familiarity with the brand. Um, yep. You know what you're going to get. And why start something from fresh if you can also kind of revamp something that was already so successful? So a show like Saved by the Bell has done great for Peacock, which is, you know, NBC's streamer. And of course, it's been, you know, you have Mar- uh, Mario Lopez, a talent attached to it, Elizabeth Berkley, and some of the OG from the original show came back. So it just made it all the more valuable. It did so well that it got picked up for a second season. So those are, that's a perfect example of the, of the carryover where syndication isn't traditional syndication anymore. It's also shows that were on syndicated can be now on streamers. Like the Friends reunion is gonna happen in HBO Max. So it's, yeah. it's about adjusting to, I guess, the trends, right? The market trends. Uh, Sex in the mm-hmm. City is another good one. I mean, that went from 
having its run also in syndication to a movie. And now it's going to be, you know, coming back in a 10 part series on HBO Max. So, you know, the sky's the limit. And it's just sometimes you have like dual plays where you can have a show that was in the syndication come back in more than one platform or even shows that are not in syndication. Like, for example, Cannonball at NBC. It was a sports driven show, but being the pioneers in television that NBC is, and I was happy to be with them for for two years and eight years prior to that with Telemundo, Cannonball, they did a really cool, we did a really cool stunt where we not only premiered it on USA, but simultaneously we broadcasted it on NBC and on Peacock. So you've got a cable channel that aired it. And then after its original airing on NBC, simultaneously with the cable channel, it continued Mm -hmm. to air on just cable. So you had open television, NBC, you had cable USA, and you had the backup of the, of the streaming aspect too. So you got three for the price of one there. And a lot of these companies, NBC, uh, CBS, ABC, especially those that have the good fortune of being attached to a streamer are really thinking about content this way. It's 360 and it's more than just traditional broadcasts. So it's exciting. It's leaning into new, um, consumptions and new market trends and what people want. So it's all data driven and ratings based, but it's also really fun to kind of be able to do that. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. All right, we're back. Uh, now we're going to have a conversation about green lighting productions. I'm really excited to talk about this one too, because uh, <laughs> when I when I think about it again, this is me on the outside looking in. Sounds like a lot of fun. I know it's a lot of responsibility. I, again, as you were saying in the previous segment, you know these things are data driven. We're talking budgets. You know, we're talking meetings, and there's a lot of parties involved in this, and there's a lot of yay and nays that that go into this as well. Uh, so really want to have a conversation with you, getting your insight, again, having served in all the different positions that you have served in about this process of green lighting productions. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you <laughs> to tell us about this. Well, I'm just happy you came back and I didn't bore you with the first segment. So uh, <laughs> kudos, kudos on that. But yeah, no, the green light process is a really fun one. I mean, nobody knows how much work is behind it. I've been doing the green light process since the days of Univision where, you know, that was very early in my career. When I started in 1996, I was fortunate enough to work for various networks, um, have been fortunate enough to work for various networks. And at Univision, I greenlit a couple of shows. So whether it's Univision, Telemundo, or most recently NBC, there's a big process behind it. The creative development team has to work hand in hand with the sales team, with the PR team, with the business and legal affairs team, with the branding team from a sponsorship perspective and monetization. I mean, it's it's really 360. Wow. Once the original idea comes about, like usually what happens is it's green lit. So someone can like either someone internally or someone externally can submit a format or a show idea. Um, the creative team, usually programming team, reviews it and likes it goes through numerous meetings. Sometimes it has a talent attached to it. Sometimes it doesn't. And then once it's green lit, you do a development deal. You go forward in the process. Usually the next step will be to shoot a pilot. Of course, you work with budget and finance and you know, all that and, and, and coming up with the right budget. Once you've done the pilot, then you test. 
you test and, and you, you see what the industry says, you see what the viewers say, what they, what they think about it. Oftentimes you have time in the timeline, depending upon how much time you have, you're able to make some tweaks and then you sell and you try to sell the shows in as many markets as possible. With Kelly, for example, I was lucky enough that when I was brought on board, the show had already been piloted, sold, and the heavy lifting and the hard work had really been done by my former boss, Tracy Wilson, and Alex Duda, the executive producer slash showrunner, and of course, Kelly herself. So I kind of came in and, and helped them launch the show, but there was a lot of work. Usually the timeline in getting a show off the air, especially in syndication, is anywhere between eight months to 12 months. So, wow. you know, it's really making sure that you're staying in tune with the, the real estate that's available, keeping your eye on the competitor, knowing the space, knowing what content you may or may want to not dabble in. Because, you know, if others are already doing it and you can't do a show or a format is good, then maybe you want to think twice about it, right? right. So you always got to think about the why and, and the need and the takeaway for, for these shows. But it's really cool to greenlight a show. Some are successful, some are not. With Kelly, mm -hmm. we got really lucky. You know, it was a show that uh, hit home and it got picked up for a second season. And then once that happened, it also got picked up for a third and fourth season. So really happy to, uh, to have been part of that team and have an announcement of a dual, dual pickup. Also, kudos and props to other shows that have been able to do it, like Tamron Hall. I mean, Tamron Hall, with the backing of her team and, uh, you know, Disney... Uh, also got picked up for a second season and she's doing well. You know, we'll see how other newcomers like Drew Barrymore will do and others that are kind of playing in the space. Just because you're a big name, though, doesn't mean you're always going to have success. Like, for example, right. Megan, Megan Mullally tried and didn't necessarily make it Harry Connick Jr. Steve Harvey was just a pioneer in the industry. I actually miss him. I think he was brilliant and genius in, in the space that that he filled and there's definitely a void in that. But, you know, syndicated shows and green lighting shows are in every genre from talk to panel, to comedy, to court, to conflict, to game. So I've been lucky enough to be involved in a lot of those. Like at Univision, I was involved in some game shows and reality format shows, of course. So it's fun, but it's, it's a lot of work. Nobody would know how much work goes into it. And there's a lot of no's, unfortunately, before you get a yes. Understood. Understood. Uh, here's something I wonder about now. Is it more networks reaching out to the celebrities or is it vice versa? Because I, I imagine, because you hear it all the time, you know, celebrities have these ideas for these shows and they, they call it their agent and they get in front of these yeah. networks to pitch. <laughs> yeah. Who, well, I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think one is doing more than the other. Let's mm -hmm. take, for example, NBC. NBC is a network where I, I thought that was really cool that the network really cultivates it, its talents, right? It develops a good relationship with the talents, offers them a home, and then says, okay, you're going to come here. This is going to be your network. We're going to support you. You're going to support me. And at the end of the day, we're going to cultivate into each other. So take, for example, uh, Kelly Clarkson. So Kelly, before having her own talk show, was a host of, or a coach, excuse me, of The Voice. And she expressed interest in doing more. So they gave her the opportunity to host the billboards. And they gave her the opportunity to do her own talk show. So that's very common for the network. Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez is not just a talent on Access Hollywood. We brought him over from Extra 
to be yeah, with us at NBC because he was a whole package. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He came not just as a talent, but with a development and overall deal, right? So he was on Access Hollywood, but then you could also see him on Saved by the Bell. And he himself and his production company, big shout out to them, they are developing and, and, and pitching things for the network. And there's a first look opportunity that they have. And even talents like Scott, who's the host, one of the hosts of um, Access Hollywood as well, is on World of Dance. Um, so we as a network, NBC as a network, very much cultivates their talents and gives the talents the opportunities to pitch ideas. And if there's not an interest or the timing isn't right, then the talent can go, of course, elsewhere with the concept. But NBC is really good about trying to keep the talent at home. And that's why you see all of the, the new shows coming about. Even some of the comedians that you've seen on SNL are, you know, coming about now with, look at, you know, some of the shows that are, you know, being developed, right? Or even Tina Fey right. and some of the other familiar faces and names. But other networks, you know, sometimes also, of course, like you mentioned earlier, their agents, the executive producers themselves are running uh, interference, get scripts and projects and shows, whether it's scripted or unscripted, in the hands of the, you know, programming team. So it can work both ways. So I don't think one really works more than the other. I, you'd be surprised at how many talents are actually hustlers. Like there's a lot of people that think, oh, talents just show up, they read their lines. Uh-uh. Like a lot of people think that talents are not hustlers. And there's a lot of hardworking and talents that hustle like Mario Lopez, Ryan Seacrest. There's a whole bunch. Andy Cohen, folks that aren't just talents on camera, but also our producers or developers. They have a whole team behind them that produces, writes, shows, concepts. You know, there's there's various ways to go about it in the industry, but I, I think it's it's not a fair assumption to think that only networks uh, come after talent. I think the talents, especially the talents that really have a voice and have a project that they want to get out there, they do a really good job of finding a platform to support them in that journey. You you are right about that as far as like those people that are hustlers. I, I know somebody else that comes to mind for me, like Dwayne Johnson, right? Like really working hard, try to put together something good. Absolutely. And, you know, they go out there and they get it. So um, it's good. <laughs> it's good to know that at least with NBCU, that, that they definitely have that balance where uh, it's not just one sided uh, with the network or the, the talent. It's, a balanced thing. So it's definitely a lot of great insight, a lot of great insight. So thank you for yeah, and listen, <laughs> thank, sharing no, all and thank you for thank you for bringing his name up because I failed to mention him and he's a perfect example. He came out with he was an executive producer of the Titan Games and very much involved in that show. So he's another great example of someone that NBC has a relationship with, as is JLo, right? JLo has World of Dance and is is very much involved with NBC. So again, I've listed quite a few talents that I think are just stellar, right? Cream of the crop and that are associated with a network like NBC. So I think that's really the, the key to their success and, and so happy uh, to have been part of it. All right, we're back. I've really been enjoying this conversation. Me too. <laughs> really have. Now I'm going to go ahead and ask you some questions so that the listeners and I can learn more about you, uh, the things that you do and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. So I'm going to go ahead and fire off with this first question. Uh, you you spent it. time at Univision, ABC's Good Morning America, and most recently NBC Universal. What are some of the lessons that the television industry has taught you? Wow, that's a great question. I, I guess never take anything for granted. 
television is a very interesting median, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, something could be in one day and then the next day it's not. It, it, it just depends because I think there's ups and uh, ups and downs. A show can be the number one show one season and the next season for whatever the reason, it's not. And the viewers went elsewhere. I think that also is the same for executives. I think one of the biggest takeaways I have where I'm at in my career is to continue to be humble, continue to be appreciative, continue to try to like inform, entertain, engage others, do the right thing every day. Like when I was at NBC, I came to the job with 120% every day, didn't take anything for granted, treated others the way I wanted to be treated. And by the same token, know that sometimes things aren't always forever. Being in this show, in this industry, it can be cutthroat and it can be uh, difficult. Not everyone has good intentions, both on and off camera sometimes. So you gotta have to know who to trust and who to surround yourself with and the kind of environment you wanna be in. You know, that's one thing I learned about Hollywood as well, right? I've worked in general market. I've worked in Spanish language television. Hollywood, excuse me, is the big leagues. And you've got a lot of really aggressive people out there that sometimes have good intentions, maybe sometimes have ulterior motives. But, you know, it's just a matter of keeping real to yourself, keeping your feet planted. Luckily, I had the backing of a network and a support system. So it made my job that much easier. But for people out there that aren't, that are independent, or that are just starting off in the industry, you gotta just be aware of your surroundings, especially with, with television, it's very competitive and just know when enough is enough, I guess. <laughs> but gotcha. I mean, I, I love television. <laughs> I love eat and breathe this. I've been doing it since 1996. My current role, I'm, I'm really excited now because I'm actually doing some consulting and more some entrepreneurship, which I've been wanting to do for a while. I mean, I've just, you know, I've been under exclusive contracts for many years now. So this new change for me is exciting. So I'm kind of getting to pick and choose on some projects that I want to work on. I'm doing some development. And with someone like me, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate because I can do it in two languages and I can produce, I can develop, I can, I can program. So I try to, you know, really adopt and adapt rather the, the skill sets that I've learned into everything I do and try to help others and try to influence and just make good content. So that's what I'm doing now. And and kind of partnering with some production companies, um, trying to get back closer to shows. I really love production. That's really my wheelhouse. I really enjoy being on set. I enjoy being, you know, in, in edit rooms and post on location. I love working with talent, love working with teams. So I'm trying to do a little bit of all that in this new, in this new capacity that, that I'm in. <laughs> cool deal. Hey, <laughs> I'm just going to tell the listeners what I told you when we met up the other day <laughs> you dated uh -huh. yourself and said 96 <laughs> and you don't look a yeah. day over 35 so <laughs> well thanks that means yeah. the uh, the creams are working i'll take it i'm 44 <laughs> and i've been doing this since i was 19 so there you go awesome awesome <laughs> so my next question to you uh, there's a lot that goes into major television productions there's a lot of hands involved too from agencies yeah. studios networks and maybe a few mm -hmm. other parties how complicated yeah. can things get and how often do projects get completed on schedule? Wow. Another great question. Sometimes things are very smooth. COVID mm -hmm. obviously threw a monkey wrench and all of that. Right. And, you know, <laughs> that kind of just threw everything out the window. But I'd say for the most part, if it's an internal production where a network like NBC, 
for example, owns the intellectual property and is able to produce and develop it and sell it, it's easy. Now, if it's, and it's easier, let's say, because that still comes with its challenges. But if it's, if it's a show that is like a third party production, and then you have a production company with a whole bunch of executives that have a voice and editorial say, then you have a network. And then maybe you even have talents that all have equal share and fair stay into the project that does become a little bit more complex because you've got production company network and you know talent and executives that gets a little bit more complicated and sometimes can lengthen the time of a project but both are successful you know you have shows on the air right now that are successful and have that latter format that i just described so this is us as one of them agt is another one this is us is produced by Dis- disney and in conjunction with NBC and airs on NBC, AGT, America's Got Talent, is produced by Fremantle and Simon Cowell, and it airs on NBC. So you have a lot of talent, a lot of executives, and a lot of hands touching the project. So it's a matter of you know trying to find that balance. Great answer. I was yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was looking for some concrete, but the way you the way you explained it, it is definitely you know, one of those situational things, right? Where it, it varies. It makes a makes a lot of sense. All right. As mentioned earlier, you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. What are some of your biggest career accomplishments? Yeah, I think one of my my greatest accomplishments and I'm very proud of, and it was very much a team effort, was winning my daytime Emmy for Un Nuevo Dia, which is the Spanish version of the Today Show, Telemundo. The show's now been revamped a little bit and the name has changed. So it's called Hoy Dia, which means today. Uh, but Un Nuevo Dia is uh, a new day. You know, winning that, that Emmy, I had been nominated, we had been nominated many years in a row, but winning that one and, and the daytime Emmy is even more difficult, right? It's even harder to obtain. So being with the team there in Pasadena, California, receiving the Emmy and going up on stage and letting the executive producer and the team just, you know, shine in that moment for all their hard work was, was awesome. But I think for me, that was one of my greatest accomplishments winning that, that, that daytime Emmy. And it was so cool to see, you know, the reactions from the team. Some, some even cried because a lot of work goes into it and to get that recognition just really was, was priceless. And to be able to carry that Emmy with you and, have it at your house and have it on your resume. It's, it's, it's a wonderful accomplishment and something I'm very proud of. Yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking about it going from Emmy nominated to Emmy winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, that's it's a, a big step and it really kind of, it's like our version of the doctor in the doctor title for doctors. So, um, yeah, you can yeah. say you're a, you're an Emmy award winner. It really helps in the industry and in the field. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. And more importantly, it's just satisfying, right? It's satisfying to know that people respect your work and that, that it was, it was seen by so many and then it had an influence. And at the end of the day, as programmers, as executives, as producers, that's what we want. We want to make content that really touches others, that makes them feel good and that people can walk away and think that, okay, there was a purpose. Okay. I invested time into the show, into the series and it, it all paid off. And, you know, right. when, when something like that is one, it's the whole team, it's the writers, it's the producers, it's the editors, it's the cameraman, it's the costume design, it's makeup, it's everything. Again, going back to that full circle, nobody knows how much goes into it. 
And that's why there's so many different categories. But winning it for best time morning show is is awesome. Another really fun and, you know, accomplishing good accomplishment rather that I, I had in my career was La Voz Kids having executive produce that show. And that's the Spanish version of The Voice, but the kids version. So I did that from 2013 to 2016. And that was awesome. Working with kids, working on that format, such a successful brand, The Voice. And that was really fun. We shot it out of Universal Studios Orlando, working with some really good coaches, some good hosts, good stories, and you know, learning the kids' stories and being able to just make their dream come true, put them on the stage, allow them to sing and see it all the way through is just fascinating. It's a lot of fun. And then working on a show like Kelly in my most recent role, where a show like Kelly in its first season was nominated for three time, three Emmys and won three as well, was also awesome. That's great. That doesn't happen in the industry a lot. You know, I've just been lucky enough to work with some of the best and the best in the industry. Cool stuff. <laughs> that 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 is... Very impressive and definitely con- congratulations as well. Thank you. Um, so my final question to you. Sure. You forked your way through the ranks, having been a producer, having held most recently a network executive position. What advice would you give aspiring network executives? I would say never, never stay too comfortable. Always allow yourself to... Number one, reinvent yourself. Always allow yourself the opportunity to learn. As a leader, for me, I always learn from my peers. I like to mentor, I like to teach, but I also like to to be taught. And I think it's all about a team effort. It's never me. I always talk in we terms. You know, you have to be a go-getter. You have to be aggressive in this industry, but I also think you have to know when to stand down. I think, you know, for me, the best advice I could give is, you know, do internships. Like I did two internships before I started in this field. And that's what really opened the doors for me. And I think that's the best advice. And I did internships and now I'm dating myself again when they weren't even paid internships. I did them for, you know, high school and university credits, right? NBC has a great program called the page program. And they put their pages as they're called through this one year program where they're paid. And it basically guarantees them almost the opportunity to get out of there and land a job with the network. So, you know, I would say do that, you know, do networks, uh, do internships, network on LinkedIn, try to build your own base and your own team within social networks like LinkedIn, go to the networking events, um, reach out to executives of networks, let them know that you're available, you know, get your foot in the door. Sometimes you have to start off as a production assistant and then work your way up as an associate producer and so on and so forth. And that's what I did. I mean, never take anything for granted. Allow yourself the opportunity to learn, um, surround yourself by people that maybe have more experience than you and learn, 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 learn. Never stay complacent. Those such wise words. (laughs) Very wise. Um, Thank you. Thank you, uh, Richard, for taking time again out of your schedule to come on the same show. I really enjoyed this. And I mean that when I say that, (laughs) I really appreciate it as well. And, you know, it's definitely been a pleasure. And as I tell all of my guests, the door is always open. You are always welcome back on the same show. So definitely. Thank you. Love to have you back on sometime in the future. 
thank you for uh, thinking of me, Cliff. And uh, I hope your your listeners enjoyed this. And maybe next time we'll do it in Spanish. You never know. <laughs> I definitely would need to brush up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with that. <laughs> so thank you. And thank you, listeners. And listeners, if you want to keep on contact with Richard and see all the awesome things he has going on, you can first find him on LinkedIn at Richard Borjas. And that's Richard Borjas on LinkedIn.com backslash N-I-N backslash Richard Borjas. And that's Borjas, B as in boy, O-R-J-A-S. All right. S as in Sam. And then you can find him on Instagram. That's R Borjas on Instagram again. That's at R Borjas. So be sure to follow him. Check him out. He has a lot of awesome things going on. He's a great guy. Great to know. Uh, and again, a friend of mine. So <laughs> thank you. I'll pay you the $5 later. Show, reach out to him. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So thank you listeners again. And remember, continue to like, share and subscribe and spread the word about the same show. Thank you guys. I love you guys. And remember, you are listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.